Spirit and, and, and Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. And then uh, upcoming yet will be a special study focused on John 14 through 16, looking at Christ's use of the Holy Spirit's ministry originally in the lives of the disciples and I believe also then in our lives uh, these many, many years later. So if, uh, we'll look at a couple of references and then I'm going to get you involved in helping me read some of them. But if you're in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16 and verse 6. And now they had, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Beth Bethania, but the Spirit did not permit them. The text doesn't tell us, you know, exactly what happened in this particular case. We know uh, there's also the Macedonian vision in, in this con uh, context. Uh, so we're not sure exactly how this, the Spirit communicated to them not to go, not to follow this, their, their plans, the, the intended direction. Um, but nevertheless, uh, Scripture makes it clear that they understood, and so they responded to that. Um, Obviously, we do not get any kind of um, visions or dreams or anything like that today, but obviously as we, as we pray about matters and, and approach them through a study of the Word of God, God's Holy Spirit does guide us and direct us in those ways, um, making decisions. Sometimes uh, other people may or may not understand how we arrived at a decision that we've you know, felt very strongly about in reference to the Holy Spirit, but we have a confidence that the Holy Spirit does provide guidance and direction um, to our lives in that particular way. And then over in Acts chapter 20, a couple verses we'll pick up there. And this again, it's... it's I. A couple of these, as I've said to you before, sort of overlap or sort of hard to categorize them directly. This one may be maybe more specific to Paul's ministry, but I have included it in this category of general um, working of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And so here it says, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. Um, <laughs> always this passage here always amazes me that Paul perseveres. Um, I, I don't know uh, what I would do if I was told that, you know, that right around the corner, <laughs> I mean, it's one thing that, to anticipate that it might happen, that you might get into trouble uh, for your faith sometime, but to be told that uh, tomorrow morning on the way to work, you're going to get stopped and uh, arrested and and take it away because you attended services at Calvary Bible Church yesterday. Sort of like, wow, that's, that's I mean, I, to me, that's sort of like the picture I see here. He's saying, no matter where you show up, Paul, you're going to face op opposition. You're going to face persecution. You're going to be in trouble. And Paul just says, you know, one step at a time, just keep moving ahead. And that's the direction I'm going. So, um, we don't have that kind of clear revelation at any point, but uh, Paul did, and Paul persevered and moved, moved ahead. And then later in this chapter, uh, in verse uh, 28, uh, Paul speaking to the elders of Ephesus, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock uh, 
amongst which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd a church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And so we see the Holy Spirit uh, there again uh, being very active in the formation of those early churches. We believe through the process of gifting, which we'll look at later in our study, that God the Holy Spirit is doing, still doing that, maybe not in the same direct uh, visible way that he was doing it during this, the book of Acts, but nevertheless is the one that is forming and, and grant, granting gifts, which then the gifts um, project out into how we serve and who serves and where they serve uh, along uh, the way in this situation. So let me get you then involved with reading a couple of verses for me. Um, we're going to move to Hebrews 9.14. Somebody, please. Um, Beverly, Hebrews 9.14, uh, 1 Peter 1.12, John, uh, 1 Peter 1.21, which is a passage we'll see later, Tammy, um, Luke 1.80, chapter 1, verse 80, Nick, uh, and now we'll stop with John 6.63 for right now, John 6.63, someone, Monty? Okay, if I could just back up then to the, um, Beverly, please. Okay, so we see here the Holy Spirit being involved both in the offering of Christ and also the usefulness of that offering to our daily lives. It's not just a um, historical fact or a historical act, but it's something that actually impacts us uh, all the way through our lives. And then I honestly am not going to remember now who I gave these to, but First Peter 1.12. Okay, and basically what that passage is saying is that those that have preached prior to the writing of 1 Peter, that would include Peter and the other disciples plus the prophets, they've all done it through the power of the Holy Spirit. They have not done that in their own wisdom or ability, but they've been able to minister through, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, does somebody have 1 Peter 1 or, does, or do we, 2 Peter 1 or we go to Luke one eighty? Excuse me, Tammy. Okay, and again, this is very much going to be covered when we deal with the uh, Holy Spirit in, involved in revelation and inspiration, giving us to us of the Word of God. But uh, it is an overall ministry that he's had on a very broad sense, which I guess is probably where my mental process was going and getting us here. And then Luke 180, uh, if everybody would just turn there for a moment, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 80. Okay, someone has that to read, I, I believe. Yes, sir, please read it.
Okay? So it's a reference to, uh, to the child here, to the John ba the Baptist in this particular context. Excuse me, my brain just went almost dead. Um, so it was suggested as, in, as I was reading about this um, that very likely that, again, this is a place in Luke 180, the word spirit is not in capitals, uh, and it's the way it's written here, it's like it's talking to, to, about his inner development, his inner character, uh, but it was suggested in some of the reading that I did that this very likely is a reference again to the ministry of the Holy Spirit to John the baptizer as he was growing. And the, just simply to say, just the grammatical expression in the Spirit could also just as easily be read by the Spirit. So uh, just, just a reference. And if you're thinking or thinking this direction, I, I can tell you that the, word, the article is not in front of the word Spirit here, so, but that also does not change a lot. It would be more definitive if it had the article and before the word spirit, if it said the spirit by the spirit. But the absence of the article does not really change uh, the, the potential meaning of the passage either. So I think there's a good possibility that this is a reference to the Holy Spirit enabling John the baptizer, more, more, even more than some development of inner character or inner development of his own. And then finally, I think the last verse we shared was John 6.63. Okay, and again, the word spirit here may not, may not re refer directly to the Holy Spirit, but I believe that it also fits this verse and fits this context, that it's, that it's the spirit. Uh, physical life is temporary. Physical life is only going to last a certain amount of time. Physical life basically is always decaying versus, so physical, physical life is going to be temporary, but the Life from the Spirit is going to be everlasting, going to be eternal. So one of the reasons I think it probably refers better to uh, references to Christ, uh, to the Holy Spirit in this particular situation. Um, let's take, uh, all of us turn to Romans 2.29. Romans 2.29, I'm going to read verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in or by the Spirit, not the letter, whose praise is not from men, from, but from God. And of course this whole section is sort of just focusing on, in on the Jew, Jews and their failure to live for God, their failure to obey God. And, and so forth, and, and so, you know, the Jews were great at ceremonial uh, fulfillment, they were great at doing uh, the right outward deeds, but Paul's emphasizing here that without interchange, without the change that only comes through the power of this Holy Spirit, that that, that change is not going to afford any benefits to, to the Jewish person. It's not just the ceremony, it's not just being circumcised by their parents or being brought up in the synagogue or whatever it is more in 
to interchange created by the Spirit of God. And um, 1 Corinthians 12.3, please. <clears throat> and some of the verses I, <clears throat> I sort of moved over <clears throat> today is not because they're not still important or whatever. I just am sort of been looking at the time and the time remaining and whatever and just uh, moving ahead with some of those choices. Um, and again, 1 Corinthians 12, 3. It reads, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so um, someone's outward witness, what they're saying, is in direct connection with what's happened inside of them inter internally by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Um, and so, um, it, again, it's all tied up into this whole uh, charismatic, um, excuse me for the expression, but mess that we find here trying to get sorted out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. So those are just references, um, just impactful references to all that the Holy Spirit has um, involved in in the development of the, of the New Testament, of the basic uh, ministries of the people that are involved in the New Testament. We're going to move on then, if you following in your notes, we're going to move on to the work of the Holy Spirit in reference to the life and ministry of Christ. Um, we're going to look at the conception, the baptism, the temptation, Christ's preachings, Christ's miracles, and Christ's miracles on his own power. Uh, also the cross and resurrection. So that's where we're headed ultimately. We may not get all that way today, but that's where we're headed ultimately. And so we find the Holy Spirit involved in the conception of Christ. So if you will turn to Matthew chapter 1. I understand that most of this is probably not new. It's probably something you could uh, say to me, but I also know that if I ask you to say it to me, you won't, right? Smile. <laughs> so uh, you'll just have to listen to me now, if, you know, if you want to say next week, oh, but by the way, we'll, we'll teach, it, I'll teach the Sunday school lesson today. Okay, I'll, I'll sit down and let you go. Uh, but other, until then, you'll have to uh, put up with my telling you what you may already know. Um, so the, the, the two passages, Matthew chapter 1 and also then over in Luke chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, if you're following the notes, you've got in verse um, 16. They remember in verse 16, And Jacob begot jo Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. If, you're, if you happen to be with me or know from some other place, happen to be with us when we taught through Christology, that of whom is a very specific grammatical reference to the fact that the child came from Mary as a female and did not come from, as the rest of the genealogy would show link, linkage or lineage back to their male ancestor. In this particular case, the, the of whom, to be very precise about it, is a feminine pronoun rather than a masculine pronoun and is indicative that it, that Matthew very specifically under the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit as the word was breathed out chose this pronoun to, to support again the concept of the virgin birth of Christ and the concept of the fact that Christ, the pa passage of the sin nature was broken by the fact that 
of, of, of the virgin birth. So that's there in that verse. That's, so that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit, but it has something to do with the whole process and the concept. So excuse me for going there. But now the birth, in verse 18, of Jesus Christ was as followed after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Fear. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And then over to Luke chapter 1. And we'll begin reading with verse 34. Um, I'm going to actually pick up with verse 29. Luke 1, verse 29. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and consider what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And so we have here, obviously, very clearly and very directly, the involvement of the uh, Holy Spirit in the conception of Christ. Um, I read a lot about it, <laughs> and um, I, I'm not sure that what I, I guess what I read really enlightened me anymore in what I believed about it or thought about it. Um, lo a lot of what I read, I felt like, wow, how do I boil that down and, and share it with somebody else, share it in a class setting? So, um, just, you know, let it be said, I guess, that obviously we believe this is a virgin birth, a virgin conception, uh, obviously then also a virgin birth, is, uh, and that it is, a, again, a very special need in the prophecies of, Christ, of God about Christ and about that which is, was to come place, come forward. Um, there is some type of... Um, creative act involved in this in the sense that at least the seed uh, needed to be especially formed by some act of God in order for that seed to uh, fertilize the egg that came from Mary. We believe, I don't believe it was a, that uh, Christ's humanity was, um, I don't believe it was, it was a special, crea completely creative act. I believe it was a, a normal conception except for the fact that the, the seed, the sperm, was provided by some very special act of God. Um, shrug your shoulders, because I'm going to shrug my shoulders, okay? Uh, I, there's no physical aspects involved in this, uh, nothing like that, nothing that you would consider unreasonable or unseemly, just simply God saying, I'm going to provide the means through the Spirit of God who um, again, is the one that goes out and does these things for God, the Trinity, um, for the, for the, to enable Mary to become uh, pregnant. Um, Christ, in 
every way except for the sin nature was 100% uh, human. I had everything that if you could, if he was available today to, to do things that could do the studies that are available today that weren't available 40 years ago, uh, or at least readily available 40 years ago, um, he would measure up in any, every sense uh, a full man, a complete man. The only thing that he was excluded from was the sin nature because of the, of the virgin birth, because of the virgin conception. So, um, just an amazing start to, to consider, just, just a very, very amazing start, very important start. Um, as I said, when we studied Christology together, you cannot uh, deny this aspect of the virgin conception and the virgin birth of Christ and then move on into um, historic faith. It does not work. Uh, you have uh, not only violated clear passages of Scripture, but you've violated the whole process of having a child without the sin nature. So this is a very, very important thing that happens. So then we move on in the very condensed uh, life of Christ that we have in, in the Gospels uh, into the baptism of Christ when after the, the other encounter that we would have had would, would have been Christ in the temple uh, at the age of 12. Uh, but here we're going to move to the baptism. Um, so you can just pick your choice. Uh, you can go to Matthew chapter 3 or Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 3, or John chapter 1. Okay? So everybody, I want you to pick a, pick a passage and go there. So uh, I'm hoping that we'll have everybody, that, that you'll be diverse enough that you'll have all four passages covered. Okay? So I could do this, this, and this, but I'll let you have your choices. Okay? So we're going to do that. Um, and then I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 3, and I want you to just note, by raising your hand, I want you to just note uh, any differences that you're reading or seeing in the path that you're looking at. So now let me ask you this way. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 3. How many of you are in Mark chapter 1? Okay, some of you. How many of you are in Luke chapter 3? Okay, great. And some of you then chose to be in John? Anybody? Okay. Okay. I got enough participants to make this work, I think. Okay. So as I was reading through them, I just uh, read all four passages and compared them and whatever in my mind, and I would just sort of notice some of the, the, the differences in them. They're not differences like in contradictions. I'm not saying that. It's just the way that the author chose to represent the, the action, the, uh, the baptism of Christ, okay? So, don't be bashful. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending. Any changes? Any differences? Come on. Did some of you have just the word Spirit? Okay, that's a difference, okay? Some of you have the Holy Spirit, that's a difference. Just, I'm just saying, it's just, just you know, again, it's just sort of a, a process of, of when there are parallel passages of just looking at them, sometimes the differences, you say, there's no difference between Spirit, Spirit of God, and Holy Spirit, I agree with you, but sometimes the, there's a difference that is like, well, that's worth pursuing, that's wor worth checking out, seeing why, why, that, why that took place, Okay. Um, 
And um, I'll, re I'll read a little bit more. Okay, it's the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Um, anybody, again, anything different? Okay, now who has the book of John? And tell me what the book of John adds to this scene. John? Okay. And just, just I think the reference to the Son of God is, is just a little different, a little additional clarity. Again, that is John's emphasis in the Gospel of John was to make sure his readers were convinced that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God, not just a great preacher, not just a great teacher, but the Son of God. So, baptism. Um, we've had, had a few recently, thankfully. Um, so what are two key elements of why we do water baptism? Beverly? Obedience. Obedience, number one. What's the second one that is often mentioned when we're doing this in public baptism? Beverly? Identification. Identification, okay. Identification, um, so I often told people when we, we were preparing for baptismal services that we were, when we get baptized, we're putting on the same uniform that all those other people have been baptized prior to us have. Now, you can't wear that uniform around visibly, but it's something that we do. We take that identification with all the others in our church, all those others down through the ages that have been baptized, we are identifying with them. So Christ comes, it's, he talks about fulfilling all righteousness, which is, um, an interesting phrase and would take a lot more development, but he also um, talks, he also comes and identifies with John's message. John's message to the people was to repent, to prepare them, their, their hearts for the Messiah that was to come. Whether they did that or not was on them, but that was, in fact, um, John's ministry. So Christ comes and identifies with that message, says, yes, we need to, you know, we need to repent. Not that Christ needed to repent, but he was identifying with that message. And also, in whatever sense, he was fulfilling all, all righteousness. So the Holy Spirit, in reference to the temptation of Christ, I, it, this is not included in the book of John, but it's included in Mark chapter 4, Matthew, excuse me, Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 1, and Luke chapter 4. And um, if, you're, if you're looking at my notes, I had a question there. Where was the Holy Spirit during the temptation? Um, uh, we're, we're not, it's not identified as being part of the temptation process, but again, um, the way that J Christ responds. Now again, let me remind you that from my vantage point that anything the Holy Spirit does for, the, for Christ is not an indication that Christ was not able to do that on his own. It is simply a fuller 
picture of the teamwork that always, the coexisting teamwork that always exists between the members of the Trinity. And so God the Holy Spirit comes alongside God the Son to minister in order partially, not only to accomplish what they accomplished, but to demonstrate to us that, that unity that exists between the Trinity. They came together to work together. Christ could have done anything that he needed to do on his own, but they worked together. And, and, and the members of the Godhead just simply exist to do that together. Um, I'm not sure, a couple of years ago, I taught a class on, on the Trinity, and um, it was just a very enriching class for me, a very informative class for me. Uh, it was a class that just solidified a lot of the things that I had that I believed about the, the Trinity and knew about the Trinity. But this whole concept of this, um, I, I, for lack of a lack word, is the teamwork that they, they exist. I mean, we sometimes, we don't have this. I mean, as much as we talk about husband and wife being one and so forth, we still are individuals, okay? And we still do our own thing and we still have our own preferences, you know? I mean, you are not going to get Beverly anchovy pizza. I mean, no matter how much I love it and how much I eat it, you are not going to get Beverly anchovy pizza, okay? So there, there's always going to be something that's going to be a difference about it. But the members of the Trinity, even though they are three separate persons, not, not one God with three different hats, but three separate persons, but they work in such absolute harmony, their will, individual will, is always to do the corporate will of the Trinity. Their individual will is never to do their own will. It is always to do their will together. And I guess that's what brings me to this point where I'm emphasizing the fact that this is not a weakness on the part of Christ. This is a, just a joint ministry and effort on the part of these two members of the Godhead. And so even during the, tribu even during the temptation, even though it's not worded, not included in the text, the Holy Spirit is there, okay, with the Son during this particular time and, and so forth. You just have to think about it, folks. You don't have to agree with me. You just have to think about it, okay? Okay, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, if you're there, just quickly, we're going to quickly, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And just move on then to Mark chapter 1. Uh, I don't know that we'll come back to Matthew, but we might if you want to hold your finger there for a minute. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and then was with the wild beast. So uh, notice the idea of, first of, all, first of all, the word immediately is a key word throughout the book of Mark. Mark loves this word. Uh, everything just happens immediately for Mark. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, it, this happened immediately, and this happens immediately, and so... So immediately after this, um, he's, he's, uh, as, as the New King James says, drove uh, him into the wilderness. What does somebody else have here in your English version besides? I have the word drove. Immediately the spirit drove. What, anybody else have a different word? I have driveth. I have driveth. Okay, driveth. 
sent him out. Okay. Impelled. Impelled. Wow. Okay. It's, a, it's an interesting word. It's a very strong word. It, it literally means to throw out, to cast out. Okay. Um, it, I, I think it reflects Mark's personality. I think it links up with the idea of the word immediately. In, in, in Matthew, it says he led him up. It would be more like they went up together. They sort of, you know, they were journeying together, and, Mar- and the Holy Spirit had knew where they were going, and, and he took Christ there. Uh, Mark just has this very, very strong expression, and, and there's really not a, a good explanation for it just, except just to recognize that it's there. And then in Luke chapter 4, um, it is a, let me get there first before I keep talking, I guess. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted to 40 days by the devil. And so, again, we have this prelude that Luke adds to this thing about being filled with the Spirit. So, so he's going out and doing exactly, again, what the, what the Trinity wanted done, exactly how it fit the will of God. So this, this is, he was going to be in the right place at the right time. Um, I think, again, as Luke sort of is emphasizing Christ as the Son of Man, that he felt it probably uh, important or necessary to make sure that the reader understood that Christ here was under the very careful direction of, of the Holy Spirit. And again, the word here, led, is the basic same word that was in Matthew. Um, it, again, it's just, it's just the, the idea of being led somewhere, being setting a path, pointing out directions or whatever. So Christ, the point of all of this is that Christ finds himself involved in this temptation by, by Satan, um, not by happenstance, uh, not because he had a weak moment or anything like that, but just, you know, again, to, to fill, fulfill all that he needed to do to, to demonstrate his victorious position in the world and, and his victorious position over the ultimate opposition uh, over, over Satan himself. Uh, we're all aware that his, for everything that, that Satan threw at him, that Christ's response was the word of God. In every instance, he just quotes scripture. And I don't know about for you, but, or practically whether, but that's such an encouragement to me to know that I don't need anything else but the, but the Holy Spirit within me and the word of God to defend myself against whatever attacks come my direction. Um, so, again, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, Christ didn't use some kind of magical or, or divine response, divine reaction to these temptations. He just simply said, these principles that we find in the Word of God do not allow me to do that. Do not lead me in that direction. That is not what the Word of God teaches. That's not what the Word of God teaches us to do. So we're not going to go into the actual temptation of it, just simply wanted to, again, indicate the ministry of the Holy Spirit to Christ and through Christ in this particular situation. 
And we have time for a couple more. Let's do uh, Matthew chapter 12. I'd like you to turn, if you would turn, please, to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. And I will read Matthew from Matthew chapter 12. Okay, most of your pages are stopped turning, so I'll read. Behold, a servant, servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoldering flax he will not quench. Till he sends forth justice to victory, and his name Gentiles will trust. Sound familiar to those of you that are looking at Isaiah? Okay. And... Um, and again, it's a notice that in verse 18, I, but I will put my spirit upon him. And then finally for today, if you would look up Isaiah 61, since you're already there. First two verses of Isaiah 61. And I'm going to read from Luke 4. Okay, I'm going to read verse 18. I have, I have verse 21 down on your paper, but verse 18 is where it really begins. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And so um, Christ was very... The Holy Spirit was very involved in all the pu public proclamations that Christ made through his teaching. And again, you just see this combined ministry, the two of them. So we'll pick up just with this little bit of this one page that's left in this section. And then um, we'll, if you want to again um, look ahead or, or read ahead, uh, John 14 through 16. Um, I would suggest if you're wanting to do that, that you read through it a couple times and then... Uh, Get your pencil and paper and just make a list of the things that you see, even if they're sort of like inferences, if they're not a direct statement, but you can, what is this implying that is involved here? And just sort of making a, a list of those things that the Holy, that Christ will provide the Holy Spirit to the believer, specifically the disciples in that era, and then that will enable those disciples to do in, to, in, in their ministry. So... Father, thank you again for your word, and we thank you again for the Spirit of God. Um, we know that we don't want to go to excesses of physical demonstration and of things that can be traced to the flesh, but we do need to be more aware of his indwelling presence. We need to be more aware of his guiding and directing us. We need to be more sensitive to his reminding us of things and and causing our minds to, through the Word of God to be reflecting on certain things. So help us to more, more fully appreciate the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.